make sure we're up here. Okay. Let's look at two verses this morning. And the theme of our message is the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is a story that always bears repeating. And this morning we come to that story in our study of Matthew's Gospel that at first glance you might say, well, this is not necessary. It's a passage in which Jesus says something to His disciples that He already told them. It would have been easy to just pass it right on by and just go on from there. How many times do we tell our children, I've told you and told you and told you and told you and told you? Well, Jesus is telling us something again here that He's already told us and He's already told the disciples. And I think there are passages in the Bible that are significant strictly because of what they say and there are other passages that are additionally significant because of the fact that they say what's already been said and they're said again. And such is our passage this morning because in it Matthew writes this. He says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. And there's a sense in which we learn nothing particularly new from this passage this morning. We may, again, we may just wonder why it's here, but it reminds me of that great hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. One of the verses of that hymn says, Tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I soon forget, or I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. I think that last line there is too often true. We may even have our devotional time, our quiet time early in the morning. Many times, like the dew disappearing by noon, so does our thinking and our meditating on on the wonderful Word of God as the day wears on. And we forget about what we read earlier. Now, if we look back at Matthew 16, you remember that remarkable passage in which Jesus stopped His disciples along the way and asked them, uh, who do men say, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And He commended them when they responded rightly, when they said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then it's when we read, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Matthew makes sure that we understand that it was from that time that Jesus only began to show them the things that were going to happen to Him. It had not been the right time prior to that point to tell them these things. But now, as they were drawing closer to the cross, it had become the right time. And now the right time had come, He would begin to disclose these things to them. 
And so as we read along here, we find Jesus increasingly revealing bits and pieces of information to the disciples about the things that would happen to him at Jerusalem. We read, for example, that Jesus and his disciples descended from the Mount of Transfiguration where the vision of his majestic glory had been given to his close disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he commanded them, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from, uh, again from the dead. And then we read that as they descended from the mountain, Jesus explains to them that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the long-awaited promise of the coming of Elijah the prophet. He said, But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. They understood this, of course, to be a reference to how John the Baptist had been arrested by Herod and eventually put to death. And then Jesus says, Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. And even as we look at our passage here this morning, we see him repeating this piece of news to them, even in clearer ways. Over in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17 to 19, we read, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Again in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 2, just before the end of his earthly ministry, Here we find that he tells them, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. And so what Jesus says here in this passage is really not new information. He has said these things before, he's going to say them again. And from that standpoint, if I may say this with utmost reverence, what he says to his disciples is really not remarkable. But it is, what is remarkable is that, as we can plainly see, he sees it necessary to say these things to them again and again and again. And our Lord stresses the same basic details that we find in this morning's passage over and over to his disciples during the final portion of his ministry here on earth. And he was going to be, and that was, he was going to be delivered into the hands of men that they would kill him and that he would be raised from the dead. Now I'm suggesting that there's a tremendous significance in repetition. Jesus clearly shows us that this story is worth repeating over and over. Even as once a month we come together and to observe the Lord's table, it's through that observance that we remember repeatedly the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so as we consider this morning's message, we consider that it repeats a story for us and it's worth repeating. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's foundational to saving faith. It's foundational to saving faith. There are many things that Jesus could have emphasized as worthy for repetition, but he didn't. We might have wished that he placed a greater emphasis on how to solve our money problems, for example. But he didn't. It's true that he taught us some things about money, but it's clearly not what he emphasized. Or we might wish 
that he could have placed more emphasis on dealing with difficulties in marriage. And again, he does teach us some things about marriage, but that's clearly not what he emphasized either. When we look at the condition of the world today, we certainly may have thought he could have said more than he did about how to bring about world peace. And again, he does say some things that touch on that, but it's important as even uh, that may seem to us today, not even that was what he gave the greatest emphasis to in his teaching. Instead, what he gives to us as the greatest emphasis, that thing which, thing which he spoke of repeatedly and most solemnly was that it was he was about to go to Jerusalem on our behalf. And when Luke tells his version of the story, he said that Jesus spoke in a way that we rarely hear him speaking to his disciples he said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 44, Let these thing, sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Let these things, or let these sayings, sink down into your ears. He was very serious about, serious about making sure the disciples took it in, and he repeated it for them over and over again. I believe there's good reason for why Jesus emphasized these things that were about to happen to him. These things were the most basic content of our faith. They constitute the fundamental, soul-winning message of the good news that we proclaim to the world. You see, this message is the message that the Apostle Paul preached and the message he called the gospel. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Jesus or Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see this again through the book of Acts, as the message of the gospel is spread throughout the world. You see it in Peter's bold sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And you see it in the next great sermon in the temple, when he told his Jewish kinsmen there in Acts chapter 3, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But, but ye denied the Holy One and the just, and the desire of murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of life, whom God had raised from the dead, whereof ye are witnesses." And you see this when Peter and John were called to the task of the leader, by the leaders of the Israel. 
and they required to account for how they healed a crippled man in the temple. And they said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 9 through 10, If we this day be examined of a good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he was made whole, be it known unto all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. And then when Peter and the apostles were arrested and commanded not to speak about Jesus anymore, they said, Then Peter and the apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged up on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and the savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to him that obey him. And then when Peter presented the gospel to the household of Cornelius, the devout Roman centurion, he spoke. He said, that word I say ye know, whom was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of Jews in the Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And you also see it regularly in Paul's preaching. In the book of Acts, he told the Jewish men of Antioch, to you that this, the word of salvation sent, for they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They, are fulfilled, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, they desired that Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who, was, who are his witnesses unto the people. You even see it in Paul's defense of his ministry before King Herod Agrippa. Having therefore obtained help of God, Paul says, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say, should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be first, uh, be the, the first that should rise from the dead and shall show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And again, Jesus says in our passage here in Matthew, look again at it. He seems to emphasize the repetition. He says, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him and the third day he shall be raised again. Can you see what he's saying? He's repeating the message of the gospel to his disciples, the very message that they then went out and repeated all over the world. In one of my pastorates, uh, in fact, my first pastorate, I had a man who would often 
come to church. He uh, was kind of a, a man who uh, was uh, out on the road, a transit type of fellow. But he decided he was going to settle in our little town and get a job. And we helped him find a house and so forth and place to live. And uh, he was there for, I don't know, a number of years or months, uh, many months anyway. One day he asked me, he says, Preacher, why do you always give the gospel every Sunday morning? Why do you always preach on salvation every Sunday morning? He says, I want something deeper. Well, I think it's my responsibility to follow the example of the Lord Jesus and repeat the message often, over and over again. I'm reminded of the pastor who, a fellow that came to candidate at a church, and he preached his first message there, you must be born again. Well, this next week he preached the same message again, you must be born again. And the third week, he preached the same message. You must be born again. And his deacons came to him and said, Why do you keep preaching that same message? He said, You must be born again. That's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. We need to to emphasize that. Jesus did. You know, there are a lot of things we can say to the people of this world that may be useful, may be helpful, and even to some degree might even be needful. For there's only one story we can tell that will lead to salvation of the human soul. Only one story. It's the story the world most needs to hear from us. It's the story that Jesus himself emphasized and repeated over and over and over and over again. It's the story that the disciples proclaimed over and over again. It's the story of whom Jesus is and what he did. It's not just another solution to another of of our problems that he proclaimed. It is the solution to the great problem from which all of our problems come from. And what is that? Where all of our problems come from. It's from sin. And this is how God has given the solution to that problem. What we need above all else is the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of fellowship with the Holy One of the Holy God who made us for Himself. The meeting of that need is what is proclaimed in the story of the Gospel. And that's a story that's worth repeating. It's a story that is basic to the saving of our souls. If you do not come uh, to a point of realizing that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior someone who came and loved you so much that he came to this earth as a man and he lived on this earth and he died and that he rose again. If you have never come to that uh, realization, then I don't know that you're really saved. That is the gospel. That is the saving faith. Let's be sure that that's our story to the world. We also see that Jesus' words... That's a story that he was going to, of what he was going to do in Jerusalem was also a story worth repeating because, secondly, it reveals the depths of divine love. It reveals the depths of divine love. Notice, first of all, Jesus refers to himself. 
He calls himself the Son of Man here. Look at the text there. And in the context of his words, that is a remarkable name to use, a name that every Jewish person would have understood as greatly significant, the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament name for the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. and expresses His rule over mankind as the new Adam, the head of the human race. It's a name that has its origin in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, where we read of Daniel's vision of the program of God for the future. And the vision gives us a clear picture of the Messiah as He assumes His glorious reign over the kingdoms of the world. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, it says, I saw the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Just think of it. It was Jesus, the same Son of Man who assumes dominion over the kingdoms of the world, who is here being said to be delivered into the hands of men. And it's into the hands of those men who would kill Him. You see, He knew this in advance, and yet He went to Jerusalem to be delivered into their hands. What condescending love. This is... Jesus' promise and miniature of that which Paul later spoke of in great detail in Philippians 2 and verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is referring to himself. Secondly, we find in this passage that Jesus was betrayed by another even though we haven't gotten to the actual event, most of us already know the story, don't we? We know that it was Judas who betrayed Jesus that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now there are those who would say that here in verse 22, that betrayed should be translated delivered, and that another here, the another, is not Judas, but it's God Himself. But I believe we have an accurate translation. And the act of betrayal was by Judas. And yes, Jesus was delivered into the hands of man. And that was a product of the actions of a man by the name of Judas and then of the Jews who then handed Jesus over to Pilate and to the Romans for crucifixion. And it would also be true that God knew what was going to happen. And he knew because it was his will and it was the purpose of God, the Father, that the Son of Man be given into the hands of men so that he could die for the sin of mankind. You remember what he prayed in the garden? He said, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
Not only was it the Son of Man who willingly permitted Himself to be taken into the hands of men to be crucified, but was also the will of the Father that it would be so. And it was God Himself who loved the world, and He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's another reason why this story is so important to be repeated over and over again. And then thirdly, Jesus expresses His love. It's the greatest expression of divine love that we could ever have and we could ever share. It's the best news the world could ever hear. That God loves sinners. He's taken the initiative to forgive their sins, to restore them to Himself. And how much this world needs to hear it over and over again. Another reason why the gospel story bears repeating because, thirdly, it affirms hope in the face of loss. It affirms affirms hope in the face of loss. Jesus gives us a clue to that hope. Although it seems that the disciples missed it, Jesus speaks of the grim realities of death, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men to be killed, but then He adds and the third day he shall be raised again. Now I have wondered if Peter, James, and John might have been a little more inclined to grasp this hope than the other nine disciples. After all, it was they who had just been given a vision of Jesus' glory on the mountain. But they had been commanded, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. So they couldn't pass what they had seen on to others. Even so, it seems clear that they struggled to believe it. And yet all of them had seen Jesus restore the life to a young girl in Matthew chapter 9. And they would all very soon see Him call His friend Lazarus out of the grave. And all of them would hear now the promise that He had already made to them before, that even though He would die, He would be raised again. He announced that he would die, but he promised that it would not, he would not stay dead. Death would only have a hold of him for three short days. And so the story of Jesus' death is a story that is to be repeated. But we mustn't repeat it without telling the story of his resurrection from the dead. The cross all by itself is not good news. It's the fact that the cross was followed by an empty tomb that gives us the content of hope in the third dark and fallen world. Jesus told His disciples before He went to the cross, Yet a little while, and the world seeth Me no more, but ye see Me, because I live, ye ye shall live also. He spoke to them of the sorrow they would feel when He was taken from them, and told them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. For joy that a man is born into, into the world, and ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the promise that we will be raised with Him means that death is conquered. We have hope in the face of loss. 
the loss that came into this world through the sin of Adam. And we need to repeat that message, that message of hope over and over and over again. And finally, as a very practical matter, this story that bears repeating because it must be personalized to be grasped. It must be personalized to be grasped. Notice the disciples' reaction to the things that Jesus said. He told them that he would be handed over and killed, but that he would be raised. And yet their response to that was, they were exceedingly sorry. You see, they really didn't understand it, did they? In fact, Mark tells us, but they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Luke, in fact, tells us they couldn't understand the saying because it says it was hid from them that they perceived it not. Even when they looked into the empty tomb, they still didn't fully understand. As John says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. But thank God they eventually did understand. They understood it fully when he, they spoke with him after he was raised. After the resurrection, when he had met with them and ate with them, Luke writes, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. They could only finally grasp this story when it had been fulfilled before them, and even then they needed God's grace to understand it. They needed Jesus to personally open their understanding. And that fits so much with what Jesus talked about in John chapter 15. For without me, ye can do nothing. They couldn't even grasp this story until Jesus gave them an understanding. And I suggest that this is yet another reason why this story is so much worth repeating. The story of who Jesus is and what He's done, the very story He expressed in our passage this morning is a story that must be personalized to us before it can be grasped by us and declared by us to others. It must be, first be known by us experientially through a personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ by faith before it can be the story that leads to our salvation. In fact, He went to Jerusalem and died on the cross in order that you and I may enter into the fullness of that personal relationship with Him. And no wonder we could never grasp it until we experience it personally. Listen to the words of our Savior one more time. The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill Him, and on the third day He shall be raised again. Oh, how we need to take those words to heart as we remember what He's done for us this morning. And by His example, He shows us that this is a story that's very, very much worth repeating. I ask your heads to be bowed and your eyes closed this morning as we close.